Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you uh, for this day. We thank you for the time that we have to gather together as your people. We thank you for this time of year and what it is we celebrate that, uh, that you loved us enough to come to us. And so we pray tonight that we would see that afresh, that as we think on these things, these familiar stories, uh, that you would just uh, give us a heart of, of wonder tonight, that you would help us to see it more clearly than we've ever seen it before, that you would truly grip our hearts and our minds, that you would point us more fully to who you are and the way that you love us and what you've done for us. Uh, we thank you that we can gather together as your people, that we can lift our voices, that we can spend time uh, in prayer, that we can open your word together and that we can celebrate communion and, and lift our voices. And for these things, we thank you. We pray that your name would be lifted up, that you would be uh, glorified in our time tonight. Uh, we pray as we think about uh, these familiar stories that uh, you would come and that you would be our teacher, that the Holy Spirit would move in this place, that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds and it would all be for your glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'm actually going to do something a little different. And I'm actually, first of all, I'm going to sit down. And so uh, part of it is I'm going to tell you uh, a story. And uh, I'm going to do something a little different than, than a regular sermon. I'm going to tell you a story tonight that hopefully uh, uh, illuminates a little bit uh, this story that we just read, that Luke just read to us, these very familiar Christmas stories. And so I want us just to hopefully crawl into the story together a little bit and maybe see it in a way that we hadn't quite seen it before. And I'm also going to sit down because it's a story, but also I don't think I can stand for about the 15 minutes it's going to take for me to tell you this story. And so uh, let's uh, just think together on this. And so if you would indulge me in this story tonight. And so I want to tell you a story uh, about a young man named Zebulun. Now, Zebulun's a name that we wouldn't know. Uh, probably not too common to us, but where this young man grew up, it was actually pretty common. It was a common name. His friends called him Zeb for short. Zeb was uh, an average guy from a, a normal family. He grew up in a typical home for his day. They were hardworking, loving family, loving people. But there were many difficulties in his life and his upbringing. He grew up in a place where his people were oppressed. They were living under the rule of a foreign government. And not just under the rule of a foreign government, but a very oppressive rule. And it really wouldn't do justice to call it an oppressive rule because what they grew up was under a brutally violent rule. You see, Zeb and his family grew up under an empire led by a man who called himself God. And if you disagreed with him, you were killed on a stake on a hill for all to see. This is the way that he would this king would claim to have peace. This was his peace on earth. If you disagreed with them, you were met with brutal attack and you were killed instantly. That's why there was peace on earth. There was peace on earth because if you disagreed with this uh, ruler, you would find yourself dead. And so there was no one to actually rise up and cause any problems because they were all taken care of. And so that's what the, the uh, rule that Zeb and his family grew up under. They worked as farmers. They lived on a small plot of land and they worked hard. They struggled to make ends meet. In fact, a big reason why was because of the oppressive taxation of the government they lived under. It was so impressive, so oppressive, in fact, that it would take 80 to 90 percent of their income. Now, the reason they would take 80 to 90 percent of their income is so they could spread the good news of the peace that they brought. And so this is where Zeb and his family grew up. Now, Zeb, being the youngest in the family, was actually a farmer, not a farmer himself. He was a little further down the food chain. You see, he was the youngest son in his family, 
which meant he was a shepherd. He didn't actually get to be a farmer. He got to watch the sheep, which if you don't know anything about sheep, they're incredibly stupid animals. And so as the youngest in the family, you get to watch after the incredibly stupid sheep. And so your job consists of keeping the sheep from hurting themselves or getting lost or getting stuck in rocks or falling off a cliff, things of this sort. They were that dumb. And so that's what Zeb's days entailed, following the sheep around, trying to keep them safe as they grazed and ate. And so that was his job. Occasionally, he'd have to run off a robber or protect them from wild animals. But mostly it was protecting them from themselves. So Zeb liked his job okay. Even at times it was hard, though. He did enjoy the time in the fields because he had several really good friends, three in particular, who were also the youngest brothers in their family. And it helped pass the time to be out in the fields with them. They were also uh, getting to enjoy one another's company, have fun. They kind of joke around as they were out, out there. But because Zeb's work most of the time did take place in the fields, he didn't have much of an education. He didn't get to grow up going to the synagogue locally where you would normally get an education. And so really what he knew and what he learned was what he uh, observed from the festivals that he would get to go to in nearby Jerusalem and what his parents taught and told him. And so what his parents told him was that God was real, that God cared about him, that God had delivered his people in the past and he would do it again. And so he would remember this each year as they celebrated Passover. He would hear these stories over and over again. And he liked the stories. But the truth is they seem very far removed from his everyday life, especially under the brutal rule that he lived. And so as time went on, he would hear these stories at different times. As he was out in the field, one of his buddies liked to tell stories about this promised one that God said would come and rescue them. Now, Zeb wasn't sure if what he said was true, but he liked the stories he would tell. He would say God was going to send a warrior that would overthrow anyone who got in his way. He kind of liked that one. He said the warrior would come and overthrow the evil empire that was Rome. One day they would be free. One day they would uh, all things would be fair and right and they wouldn't have to pay so many taxes. And so he wasn't sure if this was true, but he liked to hear his friend talk about it because he got so worked up. He would get so excited telling the stories. And so as time went by, he heard these stories over and over. But the truth was, with Zeb in his life, they just kind of faded to the background. They seemed great, but they sounded more like a fairy tale rather than something that would actually impact his life. There was one story, though, in particular that he liked. It was about a great shepherd. This one that was to come was often sometimes described as a great shepherd. Zeb liked that because that's what he was. He took care of the sheep and he knew how they needed protecting. And what he heard was this one that would come would be a shepherd, but not taking care of sheep, but actually taking care of people in that way. That one kind of resonated with him a little bit. He often thought it'd be a nice, it would be nice to have a great leader like this. It would be nice to feel safe. It would be nice to not have to pay 90% of everything he made in taxes. And while Zeb liked these conversations, most of the time they didn't seem very real. He could get lost in them for a while as they sat out in the fields, but they seemed more like nice stories to make you feel better. But when he really stopped to think about it, it seemed more like a fairy tale, and he didn't want to get too carried away with that. So each day he would just get up and go about his work. He would do what was in front of him. He would take care of the sheep, and he'd continue to do his work. But one night there was something different. One night there wasn't, that wasn't the case. Something amazing happened. 
Suddenly and without warning, a blast of light filled the sky. It went from being pitch black to brighter than day in an instant. You see, Zeb used to lay out on the hill at night and look up at the stars. When it was really, really clear, you could see for miles and miles of just the stars in every direction. But all of a sudden, there was this intense light that came down from the sky. It was as if the sky itself had opened up for a minute, like a hole in the sky with an intense light shining through. It was so bright, he was temporarily blinded. Zeb had never seen anything like it. All the nights he'd been out there, all the time he'd spent looking up at the stars, nothing even remotely close to this. But before he could even process what he was seeing, there was a being, an angel. He had heard stories, some from his father, most from his buddies, but he'd never seen anything like this. It was intimidating. It was big. It was beautiful. It was overwhelming. He quickly got to his feet, standing in stunned silence with his three friends. As they stood, trying to take it all in, he suddenly now was very afraid, frozen in fear. Then the angel spoke with a voice that was loud. It was intense, yet beautiful. It was still scary and overwhelming, but something about the beauty of it was strangely comforting. And the angel spoke and said, don't be afraid. I bring you the greatest news of great joy, and it's for all people. Today, born in the city of David in Bethlehem, he is here, the Christ, the Lord. Go to Bethlehem and you will find him lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. Before Zeb had any chance to process this, as he stood frozen in utter disbelief, something else amazing happened. The intense bright light dimmed somewhat as his eyes adjusted to where he could see behind the angel that was speaking. And suddenly he came to see that a whole host of angels and by a host of angels, I mean, thousands upon thousands, too many to count, filled the sky. And suddenly, with a burst of beauty and energy, they began to sing, to sing a song that was more beautiful than anything he had ever heard, louder than anything he ever heard. Glorious harmonies in full volume lit up the hillside. Glory to God in the highest. And peace on earth for those on whom his gracious kindness rests. And they sang and they sang and they bursted forth like it had been pent up for thousands of years. And then they finished and the sky dimmed and they were gone out of sight. What just took a few minutes from start to finish was done. Glory like these men had never seen before or since. So Zeb stood there with his buddies in disbelief. What had just happened? At first, no one spoke. There was nothing they could say. They all just stood there, each with their mouths hanging open. What had just happened? Before anyone could say anything, as Zeb stood there in silence, he knew what had just happened. And he knew who they were talking about. All the stories that he'd heard, all the stories that he longed to be true, that seemed a bit far-fetched, were suddenly true. He was here. This was the Messiah, and he had arrived. He was here, and not only was he here, he was right down the road. So finally, he broke the silence and blurted out to his friends, He's here. He's really, really here. And he decided to tell us. Us, of all people, he told us. Let's go to Bethlehem to find him. They agreed. They started running in their excitement. They ran all the way to Bethlehem, which was just a couple miles down the road. With a little asking and seeking, they found him. 
just as the angel told him. He laid there, swaddled, and sure enough, he'd been laid in a manger for a crib. Zeb told the baby's mother what he had seen and even told her about what he had heard about who this child would be. She smiled and began to cry tears of joy at Zeb's word. His father, a young man, also a teenager about the same age as Zeb, quietly smiled and listened at what they said. Zeb and his friends returned early in the hours of the morning that day, knowing that they had just met the boy who would one day be king, the boy that would one day save them from the struggles they faced. When they finally laid down that next day to get some sleep, they dreamed the best dreams they had ever had, filled with hope in the future. But what these young men didn't know that night was something they couldn't know at that moment. See, the boy that would be king was much greater than what anyone could have imagined. While they long for freedom from a brutal empire, there's a longing in all of us, a longing for freedom that goes much deeper than the physical world, although it does include those things. See, this king would grow up and live a life of incredible things, greater things than they could have ever hoped as they dreamed that night. He would talk about a kingdom. He would heal people. He would care for the oppressed, the downcast, the marginalized. He would speak boldly in the face of the Roman Empire. He would exhibit every attribute of a perfect king. And the people would be so excited, just like Zeb and his friends, that they'd be ready to make him king. But he would not allow it. Instead, he would choose as the all powerful creator God of the universe come to us in the flesh to humble himself even to death of crucifixion of that very brutal empire. And he would do so because he set his sight on something far greater than just overthrowing one oppressive empire and rescuing one people in one place. No, he came to rescue all of mankind and destroy evil, to destroy sin and destroy death itself once and for all. In fact, that's what the angel told them that night. They didn't have the understanding to comprehend it as they first heard it. But the angel said, peace on earth for those on whom his gracious kindness rests. To have peace, we must be at peace with God. We sing uh, every holiday time, every Christmas time during the Advent season, we sing God and sinners reconciled to have peace. Sin and death have to be dealt with to be reconciled with God. Our sin has to be taken care of. And that's what this king came to do. That's what Jesus came to do. And so when God himself entered into space and time so that we could receive his gracious kindness that brings us peace, the only way that this could happen was through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is why Jesus's kingship is far greater than those shepherds could ever know on that hillside. See, Jesus came to deal with the one thing that separates us from him, our sin. And so Jesus steps into this life and from the very beginning of his ministry until the time he laid down his life on that cross, he said, that's why he came. I'm not here to merely overthrow brutal governments, but for his life to be a sacrifice for the ransom of many. And that's what he does. And that's what we celebrate, that he comes and lives a perfect life, fulfilling perfectly all God called us to as people that we have not done. Jesus did it. Then he willingly goes to the cross of crucifixion, the very cross that young Zeb saw people strung up on for daring to defy Caesar. And in doing so, he becomes the sin of everyone that would put their faith in him. And he bears the righteous anger of God, his very wrath. And he wipes away the sins of all that put their faith in 
and what he would do. And then he rose again from the dead, showing his power not only over the evil Roman Empire, but over sin and death itself, giving us the proof of the glorious new life that we have in him and the glorious future that his kingdom is to come. And so in doing so, he proves to us that he loves us, that he loves you, that he loves and cares so much that he would come and lay down his life on your behalf, that we could have everything that we ever desired. And so our part in all of this is we accept the free gift of God's gracious kindness and what Jesus has done. Just as the angels said, peace on earth for those on whom his gracious kindness rests. And so we celebrate that every wrong and every struggle and every sin and every heartache will come to an end because of our king who came swaddled laying in a manger. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the glorious truth of Christmas. We thank you that you have defeated sin and death. That even right now, as we still see things that are not as they will fully be as you return, that we still wait in anticipation, much like those shepherds. That we have a security. We have a promise that is clear and true, and it's because that you came and what you did that you did live and die, but that you raised again. And so we thank you for that. We pray that as we celebrate Christmas, that you would be right at the center, the glorious truth of what you've done for us, that it would all be about you, uh, your glorious name, the incarnation that you loved us so much to come and live the life that we never could have lived and that you died the death that we deserve so that we could be restored to you. We thank you. We pray all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.